0: You're listening to a Rock Candy Podcast.
1: I'm Avery Smith, and I'm here to invite you to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Whatever your own relationship to gender and spirituality may be, you will find yourself enriched by the stories shared by my guests, who so far have ranged in religion from Christian and pagan to Jewish, Sikh, atheist, and beyond, and have hailed from the US, Chile, Poland, Australia, and more. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts, or read along with episode transcripts by visiting blessedarethebinarybreakers.com. See you there! This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, as always, we have just a few pieces of housekeeping. First, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons are my personal lords and saviors. They are keeping me enabled to pursue my crippling content creation addiction, and without them, I truly could not do this. All the money that they give me goes to really practical stuff like, you know, the mortgage and taking care of my six cats and repairing my soccer mom van that's like 20 years old. Really, really crucial stuff. Every little bit helps. And if you would like to join their number, go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for a dollar, three dollars, five dollars a month, you get extra content and you ensure the long life of my work. So for this week, I have to thank Kristen and Brooke. Thank you so much. Now, a lot of us are still struggling from the COVID pandemic, and we just cannot afford to support artists we love right now. And if you're in that position, that is entirely okay. I completely understand. But if you would still like to support the show, one of the best ways to do that is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So I will now read a five-star review. This is a reviewer from Singapore, and they say, I only recently started listening to the Sacred Tension podcast, and I'm hooked. Stephen asks such probing and relevant questions to his interviewees, and the topics explored are pretty cool, too. I will be checking out all his other episodes after only listening to the two where he interviews Timothy, which was co-hosted with Matt, who's hilarious. Thank you for creating this, Stephen. Very sweet review, short and sweet. And I would love for you to leave a five star review and I will read it on the show. All right. With all of that out of the way, I am delighted to welcome Lilith Starr to the show.
0: Well, hi there, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Of course. You're like beloved in the satanic community. And frankly, It is criminal that I haven't had you on the show before um, because you're like kind of a, a pillar of the TST community. Like so many people are influenced by your work and look up to you. So but you have a new book out, so it's the perfect opportunity to talk to you. So you have a new book called Compassionate Satanism, and I just read it. It's great. But before we get into that, tell us some about who you are and what you do.
0: Well, let's see. Right now, I would say I'm an author. Finally, at last. This is something that I've been working towards my whole life. I'm in my 50s, so I've been around a while. And I was there in 2014, starting one of the first five chapters of TST. So I've seen a lot of change in TST and I'm just loving the direction it's going right now. Mm. Um, I'm I'm disabled with uh, chronic pain and depression. So I don't work. I usually get about 45 minutes of productive time a day. So that's one reason for instance, this most recent book took me four years to write um, and get publication, but I made it and so you know, my life really just mostly re- revolves around TST, um, whether it's my local community or the online international community. You know, I hang out with the other authors, with the other ministers, and it's just, it's it's really transformed my life. Satanism was what allowed me to beat a 17-year-long addiction that started with nitrous oxide and ended With heroin. And I'm proud to say I've been clean for eight years now. And I don't think I'll be going back. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. So a lot of people know me through that avenue. My first book was about basically getting sober with Satan. But yeah, so I just really enjoy my time with the community.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You're pretty amazing. And you've been like one of the constant figures in TST since the beginning and by the way for people who are listening to my show for the first time TST stands for the satanic temple hold on my cat wants to get into my lap
0: your cats are amazing. Why? Thank you. I
1: post them all the time on on Twitter and and Instagram. It's like the only thing I've relegated my social media posting to articles, Satan and cats. Those are like the only three things that I'm allowed that I allow myself to post about. Um or else I just get into fights with people online and it's it's, it's no fun. Yeah, so, it's no fun. What is compassionate Satanism? At the heart of your book, there is this idea of compassionate Satanism, and you kind of contrast it to LeVayon Satanism. So what is compassionate Satanism in your words?
0: For me, um, that's sort of like my personal handle for my personal Satanism, which is based in the teachings of the Satanic Temple. Um, so someone else might take a different tack. They might say it's um, Satanism for justice or for inviolability. Um, but for me, really, it all comes down to compassion. I, uh, When I met my current partner, my world turned upside down. And that's when I was able to leave the drugs behind. And really, I saw that the highest power in my life, other than myself, was compassion. And I do think, um, you know, we're talking about enlightenment values with the Satanic Temple approach to Satanism. Um, And compassion is definitely one of those, as well as like equal rights and humanizing everyone regardless of your station in life. Um, And that really spoke to me. I was fishing around for a title for this book, and I just couldn't get past any of the really dry titles, like an introduction to satanic practice, like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. And it's a descriptor, but it didn't really have the heart that I wanted. Um, And then my stepmother, who isn't really sure about the whole Satan thing, she asked me, is there room for compassion in your Satanism? And I got really excited and I wrote her reams and reams of writing, probably way too much of an answer. Um, But later on, as I was trying to find the title for my book, it it struck me that that really is the core of my personal Satanism. It has really proven to turn off the types of people that come from the Mm Wivan background, because it's really, you know, it's kind of the opposite if you're talking about... An elite upper class of human beings and the rest of us are are just you know draining away those peasants, are- peasants yes <laughs> the peasants are revolting <laughs> so and already i've seen a couple of reviews um you know and a couple twitter and etc. posts where where they just tear me apart in terms of satanism cannot have compassion that that can't possibly work Mm. and i'm sitting here thinking well that's probably good because i don't necessarily want those people in my religion if you know if they see compassion as totally unsatanic i think that's not the kind of path that you know that i'm walking so that's kind of where that comes from it's also a little less of a mouthful than um let's see Modern, non-theistic, romantic Satanism. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I
1: think it is like the perfect shorthand for what some people call temple Satanism, other people call tenet Satanism, basically the encapsulation of the seven tenets and rooted in the romantic literary tradition rather than Anton LaVey, um, or more so than in the writings of Anton LaVey. And I love that origin story that someone critical of your religion asked you, is there room for compassion? And it I've had that exact same experience where people have asked me, usually Christians or theists have asked me, is there room for is there room for compassion or is there room for empathy? Or is there room for forgiveness even that last one is a bit more complicated but it but with almost all of them it's like yes absolutely i would say that compassion is the core of my satanism and so i love that origin story that it's that the title came out of that criticism and it might be worth taking some time to talk about what Levein Satanism is, because you also have a long history with Levein Satanism, and I found this fascinating. Talk some about your journey with Levein Satanism and the Satanic Bible, and how that interfaced, how that, uh, uh, how that helped you with your addictions.
0: Right. So, um, yeah, before 2011, I was not a Satanist at all. I had sort of settled into my own creative expression of like, I'd say non-theistic witchcraft kind of based in my Wiccan experiences and my Zen Buddhist experiences. Um, but when I met my partner and started reassessing my relationship to addiction, he himself was a Lebayan Satanist. And this was in 2010. So there was no satanic temple. And, you know, I thought his Satanism was interesting. He was an extremely nurturing, Mm. caring Mm. person. So I think I kind of got that feeling from Satanism possibly, but I hadn't really read through the books. But when we got together, we were living in this very small town up in Northern California, and we just, we had to get out of there. People were. It's kind of like there's nothing to do in a small town necessarily, except to gossip about people. As um, someone who
1: also lives in a small town, I completely <laughs> understand. I have never not lived in a tiny town, so. Oh wow. <laughs> I relate to That's everything you're to saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, mostly now, though, I have kind of gone up the mountain into the woods. So I call myself an Appalachian gay satanic forest witch um, where I'm just like Hi. up here with my cat. So but yes, as someone in a tiny yeah. town, I am relating to everything you're saying.
0: Yeah. And it was so hard to get anything new going there Um, at the time, like BDSM was kind of my my main thing. And I was with a group of people who wanted to put on, you know, parties, but they weren't willing to make them available to the public because they were worried about, you know, what their neighbors would think. And I understand, but, you know, I wanted to get back to a big city. I I used to always think that I did want to live like you're living now, like back in the woods and nature far from everything. But yeah, living in a small town was just not my thing, I realized. So um, So we tried to move out of that town and down to the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, it went okay at first, uh, I but I wasn't able to work in the motel rooms that we were staying in. But our plan was that we would go down there and live in a motel room and um, I could make money doing my central massage, which is what I was doing for work at the time. Um, but the fatal flaw in that was that the motels wouldn't let any visitors come into the rooms. So, you know, um, all we were all we had to live on was my partner's Social Security. So um, between that and a couple betrayals by landlords, I would say, uh, we found ourselves homeless. Um, we were on the streets in Santa Cruz. Um, I had never been homeless. I led a very sheltered life. I mean, you know, my parents aren't rich, but I did get to go to Stanford and Harvard for school. And, you know, I, I just had never seen that level of life. And, um, it was extremely eye-opening as well as just like the most horrible days that I've lived in a lot of senses, just not necessarily just because it's hard to survive, um, you know, to find a place to sleep and eat and just rest. Um, But it's the way society treats you that you're this cockroach, this, you know, this rat that they want to, Exterminate and just get out of their cities and get out of their their sight, basically, um you know. And these are people like us that were having the worst time of our lives. Once mm. you're down on the streets, it's extremely hard to get back up unless you have a support system, a, a support network. Um, and lucky for us, we did. We had one of my old friends that was down there put us up in motels for a couple months while we tried to find out what we could do. But, you know, there was still a lot of hopelessness. And during this time, um, that's when I was just feeling, you know, so down on myself. Um, As an addict, especially, you learn over and over again that there's something wrong with you. And so not only being an addict, but also being without a home. Was just like a double whammy on top of my existing depression. So I was having a very hard time mentally. But um, one of the things that we had brought with us were my partner's um, two books, The Satanic Bible and the Satanic Rituals by Anton LaVey. And, um, you know, in the midst of this craziness, uh, while I was also coming down from uh, a long term Paxil prescription, which is the hardest segment mm-hmm. to get off of, like the, the withdrawals are, are, you know, I literally went crazy. Um, but shortly after that, I read both those books cover to cover. And it was like a light bulb went on in my head. I had spent my entire life um, probably prompted the most by Christianity in my childhood hating myself and thinking that I was wrong and broken. And, um, you know, like I said, the addiction really hammers you with that hard. Um, I had been going to narcotics anonymous for nine years, and I still couldn't put down the drugs and, you know, they teach you in narcotics anonymous that you're powerless over your addiction. And, I internalized that and I just really thought of myself as a failure and, you know, being homeless and having that sense that everybody thinks you're just vermin, that you're not a human being compounded that. But once I read those books, all of a sudden my perspectives shifted. I thought, well, maybe it wasn't all me. Maybe I'm not the entire failure here maybe society also isn't so great in this way. And that really helped me with the beginnings of self-compassion and self-acceptance to say, well, I am who I am. I'm not a bad person. And society obviously has this dark underbelly of how we treat certain people. And from there, that also, it sort of infused me with a sense of, self-responsibility also like if I was going to pull myself up and actually end my addiction it, it taught me that I was the only one that could do that and no one else was going to do it for me and no and
1: one. it being the satanic rituals in the satanic bible by Anton LaVey
0: right yeah exactly um because it's you know, the core of the belief as I saw it was you are your own God. Mm -hmm. So in the 12 step programs, um, the steps are all almost all focused on this higher power. So in the first step, you admit that you don't have any power over your addiction. And this one would get me a lot because I would feel the urges for drugs. And I would think to myself, oh, I'm powerless, so I guess I have to go get the drugs, you know, it wasn't really something that would stop me. And then, you know, the rest of the steps are that you believe that a higher power will basically reach in and fix you, remove your character or your defects of character, aka your addiction, and you have to constantly pray and meditate so that your higher power can do this. And, um, it just wasn't working for me. I didn't believe in a higher power and, and my sponsor told me it could be anything could be the power of the group. It could be the Buddha, uh, you know, anything, but said. you, yeah, anything, but you, yeah. she even said it can be a doorknob. And I said, well, can it be yourself? And she uh-huh. said, no, that's the one thing it can't be. And so that system, I tried so hard to make work and it just didn't. But, you know, I was told, yeah, Oh
1: well, I was told the exact same thing in recovery. Like I was in in the 12 steps and I, I was in CODA, um, codependence anonymous. And while in some ways it was like the best free therapy I ever got because you're talking and sharing and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was told by someone in CODA, Uh, You don't need to know who your higher power is. All you need to know is that it isn't you. And it's like anything but you. Anything other than you to get you through the darkest time of your life. And that's when you need yourself more than anything. That's when you need yourself more more than ever. Yeah, so no, I I was literally almost told word for word the exact same thing that you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: boy. Yep. So yeah, that that left kind of a bad taste in my mouth for for 12 step programs. Um they do help some people. I am mm-hmm. completely, you know, understanding if it helps you, that's great, but I I found it frankly, to be counterproductive, Mm -hmm. you know, it's driving you away from taking self-responsibility and realizing that you have that power. And that's what Levain Satanism, um, gave back to me. So eventually I was able to set down the drugs without a 12 step program. Um, and you know, it did take quite a force of will. Mm. Um, it helped that, um, my partner was also addicted, so I was, I was kind of the one to take us both out of addiction.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and yeah, that was all put in motion by reading the Satanic Bible. Uh,
1: and so. I think that there's so many people who have that same story. It, like, I have talked to so many people where it's like Anton LaVey was the medicine that they needed. And it's harsh medicine. It's brutal, and there's some stuff in there that's counterproductive, and that we need to reform, right? But but it's like it has helped so many people, and I think at the heart of this is a really complex picture of our religious origins. It's like Anton Lavey is a complicated figure. He's done. He he was a visionary. He did so much. modern satanism and alternative lifestyles in general like he was a visionary and he was a very problematic figure in a lot of ways so talk about talk about that shift that you went through from Anton LaVey to what you're calling compassionate satanism what was it about LaVey and satanism that that compelled you to be like there has to be this is incomplete or there is more than this.
0: Right. Yeah. So what I took out of Levain's Satanism was basically, you know, the same things that are part of the core of my Satanism now, and that is self-compassion and self-worth and self-responsibility. So like, you know, self-empowerment, since you are your own God. But in doing that, I kind of glossed over a lot of the other stuff that was in the satanic bible uh, particularly in the communities that um sprang from levain satanism um so for instance what got me back into writing again um i had given up writing for years uh before i met my partner but um The Satanism Facebook page way back in 2012, it was a different system on Facebook. So pages got a lot more views and it was very popular. It was, you know, the Satanism Facebook page. And they put out a call for writers um, because uh, the guy that admin that page Um, had been a newspaper editor. So he wanted to run it kind of like a feature magazine. So I got involved with that and I met some really amazing people, the other writers mostly. um, And I got my writing chops back and eventually the editorial had left and I took over that position. So I was meeting really cool people behind the scenes, but there were a couple that were, pretty misogynistic, and then the general population of the page, you know, all the people that came to it, I just saw so much misogyny and racism, and especially homophobia, and, you know, and I also got more of a taste of that elitism that, you know, LeVay was really, you know, that was a big part of, I think, his vision was this sort of satanic ubermensch that you know should be freed from the needs of all the people uh below them and you know basically become part of the elite
1: quintessential nietzscheanism basically like like the the superman unconstrained by petty morals or compassion or or empathy for others and basically a sociopath like this this elite uh royalties elite satanic royalty was kind of like his vision for the future of satanism anyway i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
0: no no that's great um exposition because yeah that's exactly Mm -hmm. what The deal was. And so I was really uncomfortable with that. And I realized kind of after the fact that some of what was in there, you know, I didn't know it was lifted from might is right, that I don't know if it's a pamphlet or a booklet. But anyway, it's a it's a piece of work that is highly anti-Semitic. And, you know, even though LeVay was never He didn't seem to propound anything explicitly racist, you know, in his books, at least his first couple books. But, you know, there was some weird stuff like the fact that um, he said for rituals, um, all the men wear robes, but the women should be naked to like raise the lustful energy for the men. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, well, what about the women? I mean, uh-huh. don't raise their lustful energy also. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed kind of weird. Um so I felt like my form of Levainism was a little off the mark from kind of the central ideas. Um, but I still had a lot of fun. And Meeting and working with the other writers just kind of really opened my eyes to how how cool and interesting and in a lot of cases compassionate Satanist could be. There there were just there was so much wit and sharp intelligence and humor, uh, especially humor of my type, which is like the very black humor, you know. Um, so I liked the people but I realized I wasn't so keen on the levian system in general. And so my first book, the happy Satanist was a collection of the essays I wrote as a levian Satanist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it has m- maybe what somebody might say is the same problem in that it's a lot about the compassion that I took away and, and the self-responsibility and especially the recovery, um, a large part, Portion of why I wanted to write that book was to show people that you could get clean, you could leave addiction behind without God, without a higher power. So, you know, that was kind of driving the publication of that first book. So, in the middle of that, like about a year after I had started writing for that page, I saw the Satanic Temple come on the news. And I think the first thing I saw was, I think it was the first display in the Florida Rotunda Capitol building for the holidays. And it's that, it looks like it's kind of like an eighth graders art project the very first one made made out of like cardstock and, <laughs>
1: and we've come a I long thought, way we've come a really really long way when it comes to our public displays <laughs> I, uh,
0: but i thought that was charming and then i heard about their fight to Uh, put the Satanic Kids Activity book into public schools in Florida because, you know, there's the world changers. Organization goes around to every school district and tries to force them to allow them to distribute Bibles. I remember that happened at my grade school, you know, when I was in elementary school. But, you know, by doing that, they made the school district come to a decision like do we want to allow this satanic booklet in which is just the cutest little booklet you know it has themes of friendship and tolerance so are we going to let that in and the bibles or are we just going to say no religious literature can be distributed and that's what they decided right they nobody seems to want to let us distribute those satanic kids activity books even though they're so cute so I also heard about that, um, and so I went to the website for the Satanic Temple, and I th- I think this is a very common experience for people. But I read the tenets, and that the, was what I the believed. rest is history.
1: And the right? and the rest is no. I had I had the exact same experience where you know I've I've told this story before on the show, but basically I discovered TST back in 2017 when. My partner was on his laptop in the living room, and he was like, oh, my God, Stephen, you have to fucking look at this. And he showed me, and it was uh, the BDSM baby protest in Detroit, um, <laughs> 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 and I immediately got it. Like, I, I just, it just clicked for me. And I know that that, that like horrifies so many people that, that it just, it just made sense to me. Like I got it. And, and I researched the temple and I looked up their other videos and their other protests and their Baphomet thing and all of, all of it. And I was like, this is super cool. I love this. And then I went to their website and read The Tenets, and I was like, done. Signing up right now.
0: (laughs) Right? Yeah, me too. Like, all right.
1: Before I could stop myself, like almost before I thought clearly about this, I really did just kind of fall by accident into Satanism is the way it feels. Because I read The Tenet's, and I... Believed all of it. I was like, this is the best summation of what I believe.
0: Right? Isn't that weird? It's like they pulled it out of your head. Yes. Like, oh my God. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so you were not a Satanist before 2017? Like, you didn't come through the Levian path?
1: No. I came, I came straight to TST. I was a Christian for years. I, I've, I was raised a Christian and I, started to go through kind of a deconversion of my faith, a deconstruction of my faith, 2016, 2017. I would say that I really lost my faith by 2017, but I still valued the role of religion. And religion was still very, very important to me. And so I was kind of looking for a place within progressive Christianity where i could comfortably be a non-theist but then satanism came along and i was like no this is it because i don't have to deal with the burden of being in a religion that has so much history of being anti-gay anti-woman anti so on and so forth and just the the, the never-ending battles over what you're allowed to believe, what you're not allowed to believe, I mean, it's a Christianity is a really, really embattled place, and so at the end of the day, I left out of fatigue, I left out of exhaustion, and Satanism especially TST was kind of a homecoming for me you have a whole section about that in your book actually about how how TST it's like a homecoming it's like coming home and that was definitely the way it was for me and I was just like okay I'm a Satanist now this is what I'm doing and uh, I've been doing it ever since (laughs) Well,
0: we're very lucky that you fell into Satanism, is what I think.
1: (laughs) So I I still have very much like a a Christian tinge to me. A lot of that is still part of me. I like to think the better parts of Christianity are still part of me. Um, And so I'm really informed by a lot of Christianity, but I it it there was a there was a very real shift in my life when i felt my gravitational religious center move from christianity to satan and it was a very real moment for me when that shift took place so it satanism well, has been my primary religious identity for you know since 2017 now you were homeless for a period and you write really movingly about that in both of your books talk some about how that informed your compassionate satanism what because i can't imagine that you come out of that without some deeply held religious convictions
0: definitely i think i had always been under the wrongful assumption that the world was basically a fair place Hmm. um you know, uh, I thought that all the problems that I was facing were of my own making. But, um, you know, becoming homeless certainly wasn't a choice. And the people who, you know, anybody could have helped us, but instead it was the opposite. You know, I just mm-hmm. felt that deep dehumanization and rejection. And like we we couldn't even charge our cell phones in coffee shops where we bought coffee. They they wouldn't let us because we were obviously homeless. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, this is not fair at all, like not even a little bit. And so one of the big um, kind of general beliefs that a lot of religions have is this notion that the world is fair. And especially that there is um, like, you know, a higher power that is making sure everything is just. So, in that system, if you, for instance, make a lot of money and are very successful and own a lot of things, then that must be because you're exceptionally righteous, right? So, we see that a lot with the mega preachers. Absolutely. Know, oh,
1: prosperity wealth. gospel and yeah, all that stuff. Prosperity yes. Prosperity
0: gospel. Exactly. So, you know, and then that makes it really easy to look down on people like people that were homeless like us and say, oh, well, they must have done something to deserve it because it's a just world. And I write about this both in this book, the new book and the old book, and that in particular, it was just like there was a veil torn off my eyes and I could see how fundamentally unfair our modern society, you know, with all its riches, um, and technology and all of that, it's still very fundamentally unfair. And I saw, I I saw the role of religion in that pretty early. Um, You know, some of the people that were helping us were religious, and um, in a lot of places, that's all there is. But they also require you To you know, basically be part of the religion while you're there, like the union mission gospels, uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: union gospel missions. I can't remember. Um, so that's an example of help for the homeless where you have to come in early to reserve your space to sleep for the night, and then they make you sit through a sermon and then then you have to like actually sing the hymns and listen to more sermon and then they feed you and then you have to do bedtime prayers and then you go to sleep. And just this notion that, you know, the way that you're going to pull yourself up is through that higher power. And it really echoed to me, the 12 step programs, you know, like so coercive. Step, yeah. Yeah.
1: So covert. It's like, here you are desperate for just a place to sleep. And in exchange for that, they are making you worship a God, sing songs to a God you don't believe in. Like, I can't like that's that's just fucking abusive. They do the same thing in in um, recovery, too. I mean, in, like a lot of rehabs, Christian rehabs and so many court ordered rehabs are in places that do the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. And that's something that, as an aside, really bugs me is that, um, you know, basically these recovery programs that are, they say they're spiritual, not religious, but I feel like they're pretty religious.
1: They're pretty pretty blatantly religious.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the courts legislate that, you know, you have to attend that. It's literally court mandated religion even though they say it's, it's not,
1: but it is, yes, yeah. it is a total violation of the division between church and state and, and yeah. the religious autonomy of citizens. 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So I felt a little bit of that, you know, force bearing down on us while we were homeless, but mm. yeah, just seeing that most people, um, you know, cause I felt like everyone has a core of compassion inside them and wants to do the right thing. Um, And if they if they can't, then there's probably outside circumstances. But, yeah, just the way we're treated for the sin of being in a really bad place in our lives just kind of blew me away. And uh, I think that reading the Satanic Bible, I picked up some of that sarcasm about how good people are. And I realized that whether it's, you know, external forces or not these people had a choice where they could treat us as human beings or not and they made the second choice and that wasn't anything that we did that was just existent in society um, mm. and so that really like i said tore the veil off my eyes and i began to see you know just how pardon me but fucked up society is on a lot of levels um So yeah, that was what really hit home for me in that transformation.
1: So it's kind of incredible where you're at this point in life where you are so many of the things that our society demonizes. You are homeless, you are addicted. I mean, those are like two of the most demonized things in our society. And But then there was this moment reading Anton LaVey where it was basically like no fuck that I am my own god and I am worthy that's pretty incredible (laughs) that that (laughs) that you were able to experience that and that's I think people ask why Satan it is because of that that is it's the same thing with me where it's hard to express the the empowerment of being like, yes, I'm an outcast. So what? I'm still worthy. That is the path of Satan. It's hard to express that to people unless they've really experienced it. It's like hard to articulate that. But I had the exact same experience being gay in the conservative Christian world where suddenly there was this flip, there was this switch that where it's like going from i am unworthy i am unworthy i am unworthy to suddenly it's like i don't know what happened but it's like no fuck that <laughs> exactly. i am i am yeah. i am worthy i am an outsider i've i've, I've i love there's one line from wreck it ralph that i fucking love i'm bad and that's good and like <laughs> And the embrace of that, and the embrace of my satanized identity—it's incredibly right. powerful. It's like this alchemy. It's like that transformation deep in your soul somewhere. Um, yeah, soul, absolutely. Figuratively speaking, but yeah, no, I, I, I just think that that's an incredible story. Um, and uh, in the in the time that we have left, I also want to talk ask you about uh your work as a dominatrix. And just so many people don't know what even that means. So what, what did you do as a dominatrix?
0: So, um, I had gotten really involved in BDSM, um, or, you know, also called kink, uh, right out of grad school. And I was living in San Francisco at the time. And they had all these classes on stuff. So, um, you know, I took a weekend seminar on rope bondage. Um, I took a class on uh, CBT, which is cock and ball torture Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and spanking and, you know, just all these different things. Um, And I think what a lot of people don't understand if they haven't played uh, is that everything like they a lot of people have this misconception that bdsm is someone abusing someone under them and 50 shades of gray right oh my god don't even get me started which
1: is which is just like not a not a representation Uh, of the kink community at all because it's non-consensual and coercive and all of those things right yeah
0: yeah so um in reality uh the top is serving the bottom in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways like the scene the play scene whether it's like you know light tickling or like a really heavy flogging it all depends on the consent of the bottom and what that bottom wants Mm -hmm. um and so it's It's like play acting, you know, you're doing like an acting scene in which the top pretends to have complete and utter power over the bottom, but really that bottom can stop the scene at any point with a safe word. Um, And if you're doing it right, the bottom is getting to experience things that they are really into and have talked through with the top beforehand. Um, I actually, my partner and I, um, the thing we were working on before I really started doing the writing on the books was, um, we made a video called "Kink for Beginners because we realized there was just so much misinformation out there. So we made a two hour movie kind of, um, and we tried to sell it on Amazon, but they wouldn't allow streaming because I'm topless in it. Um, but anyway, it's still out there. Um, I often give people links to it. With that's
1: awesome. I might, um, if uh, maybe I'll put it in the show notes, if you're comfortable with Sure. That. If, if you're cool yeah. with that. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes because, you know, there, kink is just one of those things that's so intensely misunderstood. And, um, how does, I mean, I can just see how that also plays into your Satanism as well. How, How you know because being a dominator, being a dominatrix, is also kind of this inversion of expectations, where it's like you're you're an outsider to society, but actually you're you're serving this really important need for people.
0: Right. I mean, in a way, it was like being a therapist, Mm -hmm. and you know, looking back on it, just countless times, people came to me with judgment heaped on their shoulders by religion. So, you know, whether it was because they liked to cross-dress or because they were a masochist or for whatever reason, or or that they were um, bisexual or queer, but weren't allowed to express that because of religion. A lot of times I found myself kind of gently undoing that Mm -hmm. burden that had been placed on people. Um, and, uh, it's a very difficult job to do, um, mostly because it's hard to get people in, um, a lot of people flake out at the last minute cause they're scared. But <laughs> when I actually got to see clients, I felt that it was really rewarding. Um, and I did all kinds of things. I had a, for a while, um, I had stock money from Amazon and I bought a house and I had, this huge five room dungeon. One of the rooms was a nursery room with a full size adult crib and high chair. And, you know, there were places to tie people up in the other room and a medical room for medical fantasies. And it was all, it was all play for these people and for me. But at the heart of it, a lot of times there would be some, you know, pretty deep seated shame sources that would kind of break open and allow the person to feel good about themselves and about their desires and and wants and needs. Um,
1: It's like ritual.
0: It is. It's a lot like ritual. It's like
1: ritual, like using ritual, non-theistic ritual as a form of cathartic release, like a destruction or an unbaptism or a black mass. I mean, that's really exactly kind of what what you're describing sounds like to me as a it, it's a it, it's entering that that kind of enchanted magical pretend place to work through those deep-seated things in a safe environment in a way that doesn't actually have to hurt us so yeah i think it's really yeah. really powerful
0: yeah in fact um by the end i had become a satanist and i still had a couple of years left in my body where I could I could do that work. So um, when we moved up here back to Seattle in 2012, I started doing satanic domination. Um, and this is something that I know um, a lot of the satanic women in my community, you know, have dabbled in this or make it a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was even more um explicit in helping people move away from, you know, religious beliefs that had shamed them, that had hurt them. Um, And I provided, you know, it, it, it was kind of set up as if it were theistic, um, but it also gave them, you know, I was like the female priestess to them. And so it let them, you know, work through this with a caring, nurturing person. as well as, you know, being satanic and yeah. So Hmm. yeah, so those were definitely rituals. Before that, my whole interest in BDSM um, had kind of centered around the ritual aspects. Like I was interested in sacred BDSM. Hmm. So, you know, taking those, you know, basically rituals and making it more explicitly about the sacred and I find, I don't know if if you find this at all with the word sacred, but for the most part, I've had, I felt like I've kind of had to leave it behind um, with Satanism because it is non-theistic, but because I have a Zen Buddhist background, the sacred to me is it, it doesn't have to have some supernatural force. I am the exact behind.
1: same way. Actually, yeah. actually, I have an article coming out, I believe, later this week where you have this gorgeous line in your book. Hold on, let me find it because I, I was actually writing about this. Uh, yeah, you have this this passage. You write, I liked the idea that everything was holy just as it is, that indeed reality itself is sacred without the need for an external power to make it so. Zen dovetailed easily with science, which formed another pillar of my belief system. I saw the sacred blazoned across the cosmos and the principles of self-organization. Reality held all the spirituality I needed. I love that. So yeah, no, I'm completely on board with that. And I I also come from a contemplative background as well. So I'm I totally relate to what you're saying. Cool. Yep.
0: <laughs> yay, yeah, I wasn't sure. you know it's it's a brand new re- religion that we're mm-hmm. building. So you know, I'm often unsure of you know, what's going to be representative of what the religion is mm-hmm. um, Another person who is really good at exploring that edge is Shiva honey.
1: Yes. I, she's she's been on the show before. She's fantastic. I I yeah. adore Shiva, and she's she's so good at exploring, at, at being like unashamed about exploring, for lack of a better term, non supernatural magic, and just leaning in to the trappings of of magic and mysticism, but in a way that isn't superstitious.
0: Yeah, it was her, it was her work actually that, um, brought back to me my own personal ritual practice. Mm. Um, so I'm back to doing little rituals every few days, um, with just for my own subconscious, I guess you might say, um, and using flowers and sacred art and that sort of thing. Before I had really shoved that way down inside me and I had just stopped doing that. Even though it was never supernatural based, I just, I thought it might be confusing to people. And so while I was chapter head, I focused solely on the big group rituals um, that were very clearly, um, you know, not magical, um, that were very, very much non-theistic with, no, you know, gray area, but yeah, it was her work that brought me back to Mm -hmm. that ritual practice, which had been part of my life for years. So yeah, I'm very grateful to her.
1: Yeah. Same. All right. Well, I feel like we could probably talk all day long, but unfortunately (laughs) we are at the hour. So, but this has been great. And where can people find you online if they want to look into your work?
0: So I have, My author website, and it's just lilithstar.com. So that's Lilith, and then star has two Rs at the end. Um, If you search for my name on Amazon, you'll find my two books also. Um, I'm self-published. I used Amazon's publishing system, uh, which I've really enjoyed using. The second book, this most recent book, I actually got a couple offers from publishers to publish it, but I really did some research and self-publishing was still the best option, I thought, um, mm-hmm. mostly because of creative control. But also for the the royalty share, um, you get much more of you know, the profit when you're self-published, at least in, in my experience. But yeah, so on my website or on Amazon, and there's links to other places you can buy my book on my website. Um, because I know not everybody wants to buy it through Amazon and that's
1: just fine. Yeah, for sure. Also, isn't TST selling it as well from the official TST store? Yes. yes.
0: That's right. That just made my whole year. Yeah, that's pretty
1: awesome. They're selling your book. So you can also, so way, a way you can support Lilith and support the political causes of TST is go to the satanic temple.com and buy the book there.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah, of course. That's where I would first point people to buy it, honestly.
1: Awesome. Super ASD. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, wonderful. It's been really nice for me too. i are so thoughtful and have such a great, you know, fresh perspective on things. So thank you very much for having me on. It was quite an honor.
1: Mm, I'm so glad. All right, well, that is it for this show. The music is by D Seven. The theme song is Wild. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening.